Hey everybody, welcome in to the flagship podcast. It is uh, it is Tuesday, March twenty fourth. Oh, that is that means it's time to start singing. <laughs> Happy birthday to you! It is Horns twenty four seven managing editor, five tool player Taylor Estes's birthday. Happy yeah. birthday, Taylor! Thank you, Chip. I appreciate that. And thank you for stopping the happy birthday after that first line. I, appreciate I mean, do that. I know when to cut it or what? Perfect. In, in honor of Kenny Rogers, God bless him, who passed away over the weekend. I know when to hold him and I know when to fold him, baby. And I folded that. <laughs> Perfect timing. But happy birthday. What are we doing? What's going on? You know, we're... Do we have, uh, do we have streamers? <laughs> what do we got going? So we're sheltering in place is what yes, we're doing for my yes, birthday. Yes, we are. Um, Sorry about that. No, I mean, I've never really been one that ever throws any type of birthday party for myself. So it's not much outside of the normal realm for me. But um, my husband actually bought – I don't know how he got all this stuff. So he went to HEB. He, got, he found like a tomahawk steak and got Ooh. lobster tails and – Bacon wrapped shrimp. Yeah, it was like he came home from this yesterday and I was like, what is going on? How did you find any of this stuff? And he said, oh, it's all there at HEB. So, uh, Here's the real have... question, though. Did he find any hand sanitizer? No, or toilet paper. No. That's still not no. in the mix. <laughs> so we're relying on soap here and Clorox wipes. We Thankfully, I've always been a, a Costco shopper. I've never, you know, like I'll just buy certain things in bulk. And I've always done that. So... We haven't been in too much of a dire situation when it comes to some of the necessities that other people are, you know, scrambling to find right now. Um, but yeah, so it's just me a nice little, you know, stay at home. We weren't really sure with the Austin, um, you know, placing the shelter in place or shelter in home. Is that what's called shelter at home? I believe uh, ordinance into effect. We didn't know if it was going to like impact restaurants. We had heard it was probably going to come down today um, on Tuesday. Um, on Monday, so just as a precaution, he went and got the stuff at the store. So should be a nice meal if we don't mess up the steak. That's the one thing I'm like, I've never cooked that, so that's going to be difficult. But Hey, way to go, Ty. Yeah, came through. Came through during the quarantines, maybe. Came through. Man, <laughs> that's, uh, that's some good stuff right there. Um, okay, so we got a great podcast for you, as always. But um, Kat Osterman is on the podcast today, the flagship podcast, and we're going to talk about everything. We're going to talk about, in fact, we we interviewed Kat yesterday in all um, candor. We, you know, we get these interviews when we can get them, and, um, and so you're going to hear all kinds of stuff about the Olympics. In fact, yesterday, she kind of tipped us off for a couple hours there. We probably had some breaking news. She basically will tell you that her coach was telling her that they were hearing they were going to postpone the Olympics. And sure enough, the Olympics have since been postponed. So um, you'll, you'll hear from Kat Osterman, who was supposed to have her jersey retired tomorrow, this week, uh, her number eight jersey. And, and so we were like, you know what, Kat, we're going to talk to you and celebrate you anyway, even though, they have postponed the Jersey retirement to a later date. We will bring you on and celebrate you. And, and as it turns out, it was a great week to do it because 
of the Olympics. She's, of course, on Team USA and um, was planning to to be a part of these Olympics in Japan against the the mighty um, Japanese team that won the gold medal in 2008 and the Japanese team that Kat vanquished in 2004 as the youngest member of Team USA. So uh, that you don't want to miss that. It's fantastic. And um, and then we're look, we're doing what we do in these times. We got we got some news to talk about. Luke Yaklich, the associate head coach for Shaka Smart, is gone. We told you in the eyes of Texas last week that he was being courted by uh, Illinois, Chicago and Western Michigan. Well, sure enough, he's uh, he's going to be the new head coach at Illinois, Chicago. He went to Illinois State, so um, he's, you know, kind of going home there. But Shaka Smart had a great uh, situation kind of fall into his lap last year when John Beeline went to the NBA late in the game and Luke Yaklich was looking for a job and, and joined Shaka's staff. And, and so now Shaka looking to replace his top assistant for the second straight year. Darren Horn uh, is the person that Luke Yaklich replaced on Shaka's staff. And Darren Horn is the one who beat Illinois Chicago in the horizon league conference tournament for the NCAA tournament bid that ultimately resulted in Illinois Chicago replacing their head coach. So Darren Horn um, kind of opening a door for Luke Yaklich and uh, creating some more work for Shaka Smart. Um, but Taylor, before we get too far off your birthday, do, do you have like a favorite birthday story from your all your birthdays? I mean, uh- all those few birthdays that you've had yeah, the limited number the yeah limited number of birthdays <laughs> um okay i'll tell an embarrassing story but it's actually quite okay. funny so i won't say what birthday this was cuz i you know a lady never reveals her age so i'm not going to do that but right. a limited uh, number of birthdays yes so this was one of the few you know after you turn 21 type of birthday big deal, whatever you want to say it is. And, uh, so, uh, I went out with 20, could be 25, (laughs) could be 30. (laughs) 30. Um, so we went out for, uh, I'll I'll just say, yeah, it was my 30th birthday. So we went out with some of our friends and just, you know, I've, I've always been like low key, but you went to dinner and then I wanted to go karaoke so we went to Chinatown in downtown Austin, and it turns into, you know, they have karaoke at nighttime. And oh, yeah. I may have consumed a little bit too much alcohol, but it ended up, that night ended up with me rapping Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio. And apparently <laughs> it was good enough to where I got a standing ovation. And it was not just people trying to make me feel better about it, because I actually saw video evidence of this after the fact, because my friends were cracking up about how like nails I was for rapping Gangsta's Paradise. And then uh, I woke up next morning. It turns out that I was home well before midnight and I spent the next two days in bed because I had a hangover that lasted 48 hours. (laughs) So the difference of your 20s birthdays and your 30s birthdays hit me like a 
pile of bricks on my 30th birthday because I was literally in bed for two days afterwards. Uh, <laughs> home before midnight. Like, who does that? <laughs> so you were not moving like Bob Shipley in that, uh, in that video <laughs> he put out. No. And if anybody has is on Twitter, go look at Bob Shipley's tweet that he recently put out. So Chip and Robert I... Robert Shipley numeral two. Yes. So Chip Robert and I... Robert Shipley numeral two. <laughs> Before we even started recording, we had to actually do some fact checking here because both of us are apparently so out of the mix that we weren't sure if this was a real video or if it was some type of app that makes them dance really well. Turns out, we spoiler alert, it may be an app, but it's still hilarious to see Coach dancing, Coach Shipley dancing the way that he is in that video. So definitely go check that out. Oh, yeah. I'm going to repost it right now. I'm going to say, I think I've already posted this, but I'm posting it again. Yeah, it's good enough. It's definitely one of those rewatchable things. But it's funny, you know, so that happened. And, you know, Coach Shipley in the state of Texas, even though he, he's not, you know, an active coach at the University of Texas, but his name really holds a ton of weight in the coaching community for high school, Texas high school football coaches. So my father-in-law has been a long time, or had been, he retired recently, but um, a long time high school football coach in the state of Texas. So I think a lot of those guys really look up to Bob Shipley and what he was able to do. And then now working at the university of Texas as the um, high school relations director. But um, it's funny because my husband and I saw that video and I showed it to him and I was cracking up and he goes, Oh my gosh, it's funny to see a coach do that. And my first thought was like, are you kidding me? I guarantee you in a drop of a hat, if your sister and me, were around your dad, who I always call coach too, Coach Estes, but I just call him coach. Um, and we asked him to do this dance. I guarantee he would do it. Like there's just something with coaches. They have a soft spot, especially for the girls and their family. I would not be surprised if one of Coach Shipley's daughter-in-laws or um, granddaughters, somebody had to have gotten him to do that. And it's just so funny to see coaches like out of their element doing things like dance videos and posting them on Twitter. <laughs> Oh yeah. You gotta, you gotta love it. You know? Yeah, no doubt. I, uh, I just posted that I'm, I'm hoping he gets an audition on uh, solid gold, which is a show <laughs> that Taylor, you will not remember. I was saying what's solid gold. <laughs> it was like the end of the disco era, beginning of the eighties. I want to say. Okay. So Bob Shipley should remember it. My parents used to watch it. So I mean, okay. I've, Anyway, I won't. Uh, we'll we'll move on. <laughs> we got we got things to get to, Taylor. Yeah, we um, do. I mean, we've got. Um, okay, so are we going to Cat Osterman or are we going to our underrated Longhorns? You know, I feel like since Cat Osterman's, um, you know, her moment, there have been very few Jersey retirements for women in the University of Texas athletics history, and so the fact that hers has been, um, you know, a little derailed, I guess would be the best way to say it right now. I think it's best to let's lead with this because, you know, Kat is easily the best among the best, if not the best college softball player to ever play at Texas or to play the sport. And I definitely think she needs as much recognition as possible. So let's bring in Kat Osterman. Uh, really excited to, uh, to bring in one of the all time greats in Texas athletics history and I mean, one of the best in her sport ever. 
um, and it was supposed to be a really special week this week, but um, we are in the new normal. Um, so we bring in to the flagship podcast, Kat Osterman. Kat, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Can't complain. I mean, it's um, it's crazy. You were supposed to have your your number eight jersey at Texas retired this week, and and now, um, of course, you're a a coach at uh, Texas State, and we're all on lockdown. Um, first of all, how are you doing? You know, coping with this uh, coronavirus outbreak and and that kind of thing. You know, I think coping as best we can. I was actually on tour with the Olympic team, and um, we suspended tour and came home early. And that was uh, a week ago. Well, this Wednesday would be two weeks ago. Um, and so been home since then, which is, you know, wasn't really in the plans, but, um, you know, pretty much just trying to work out and stay in shape here at the house. And like you said, with NCA suspending everything, um, you know, we don't have a lot of work to do at Texas state right now. And so for the first time in a while, I think I'm waking up every day trying to figure out other than working out exactly what my purpose is and what I need to accomplish today. But, um, you know, it's, it's been a whirlwind, but I think, you know, it's, it's out of our control. And so we have to control what we can. And for me, that's my ability to be able to stay in shape and, um, you know, enjoy some free time to kind of brainstorm and, and see what else I can come up with to, to put on my plate. God knows I like to be busy. Well, I mean, let's start there. I mean, the national team, um, mm-hmm. in the Olympics, there's a lot of conversation right now about whether the Olympics should be uh, pushed back to the summer of 2021, um, and you're planning to be a member of that U.S. Uh, Olympic softball team. Um, give us the latest on on what you're what you're expecting and um, and what well, you're. News, yeah, actually, it was about 30 minutes ago they came out and said that it's, been, you know, it's unofficially official, I guess. IOC is talking about postponing it. Um, the same IOC member that came out and said they would give themselves to mid-May to deal with the coronavirus account came out and said that um, they are going to postpone it. They haven't given us a time frame yet. Uh, I'm going to assume it's probably going to be a year, uh, but that's just a gut feeling. No data behind that. Um, you know, I've had multiple texts checking on on how I am with the decision. And to be honest, I got home last Wednesday and I asked my husband, I said, okay, when they postpone this a year, where are we at? And he said, if you're in, you're going. And I said, okay, as long as, as a family, we're in with that decision then, then I'm in with it too. And um, so I've been kind of, I figured that's the route they would go. I don't think in a couple of months you can guarantee that putting thousands and thousands and thousands of athletes together in a village is going to be a uh, smart and safe decision. Um, so, you know, I think I, I've kind of been expecting it, but I think that the downfall is just not having a timetable and up until now not having a decision because you don't know how to prepare for each day. You don't want to prepare assuming they're going to postpone it for a year and they don't. You have to be ready. But at the same time, if you can elongate your preparation, um, it obviously changes the way you train every day. So, um, you know, it, it is what it is. And like I said, it's not in our control. So now we at least sounds like we have a decision that it's it's postponed and as soon as we have the timetable then USA softball will make a game plan and we can all figure out how we uh, construct our lives around that you know I was wondering you were the youngest member of the USA Olympic team in 2004 
when you won gold and you, you know, had an unbelievable performance against Japan. Um, and then in 2008, you won the silver medal. Japan won gold. Um, and now, you know, this this third Olympics, and I'm looking at a picture of you wearing uh, the number 38. We'll get to your number mm-hmm. eight at Texas in a second. But you said you wore 38, um, you know, because it's going to be your third Olympics and your number eight. But what I mean, is there... Is there a lot of incentive for you to to do this, to be a part of this Olympics after having won gold? And, you know, what's your what's your driving force here? You know, I think um, a lot of people assumed I just decided in 2016 when softball was reinstated in the Olympics that I was going to play again. And it actually probably took almost to the completely end of 2017 before I ever made the decision to play again. And um you know, the, the driving force was not so much a, a lot of people want me to admit and say, it's cause I want to get, you know, I want to get revenge on losing the silver, losing the gold medal. And it's not even that I felt like, um, as a member of this organization, as an alum, you know, of the, the two prior Olympic teams that it's almost our responsibility if we can still play this sport at a high level to, to give it a go. And I felt like I had the talent still as a pitcher to be able to help this team. And, um, you know, I called the committee and I called coach Erickson and talked to him and, um, he was all for it. And, you know, I think if I've showed myself anything in the last 18, 24 months, it's been, that, you know, I still can, I still can do this at a very high level, regardless of my age. And, um, to me, it was just, I thought I helped USA softball have a chance as a gold medal by coming back. Um, and obviously the committee agreed cause I've been through two tryouts and made it. So, um, you know, I just, I honestly felt like I needed to help this next generation of Olympians be able to experience what gold medal is. And, um, I knew I, I could add to the talent they already had on the team. And that's really this driving force is just really not so Yes, Don't get me wrong. I will thoroughly enjoy when, and if we are on the podium with a gold medal around our neck, but, um, you know, I wanted to really make sure that this younger generation had a viable shot at that because it's an incredible experience. And after this Olympics, it's not going to be another opportunity for until hopefully 2028. Um, so it's just one of those that, you know, I felt like I could help a team, a team win. And so I gave it a go. Well, I don't, I don't even know if you know your, your ERA with team USA in your 10 year career. Um, in, well, at Texas, I know my ERA was a 0.5 internationally. Uh, I know, I think it's lower than that. Yeah. 0.38.38. And probably six of those were this past summer as I got back. (laughs) (laughs) I think I allowed more runs in 2019 than I had in like 10 years combined. So (laughs) Well, I mean, your your career is unbelievable. You know, eight seasons, pro fast pitch, four league titles, um, you know, earning MVP of the championship series um, uh, for the Thunder in 2009, helping lead the pride to championships in 10, 12, 13, 14. Um, but let's go back to your to the beginning. You're in the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Um, but let's go back to Texas and. First of all, why number eight? 
Um, you know, the funny part is there's actually one of my first Little League jerseys. I was number eight, but that's not when I fell in love with it. Um, I had actually changed. I was number two, I think, for a while um, on another travel team. But when it came time to change travel teams because talent level, I needed to move up and such. Um, I joined a team called the Katie Cruisers, who actually Lindsay Gardner, who was a second baseman at Texas, um, two years older than I was. Her dad ran it, and that was part of the reason we joined them was we knew Lindsay had committed to Texas. So obviously, my dream that was my dream school. And obviously, if she had committed, that meant they were going to come watch. And, you know, for us, it was like, okay, well, there's a shoe and at least I'll get in front of the school I want to play at. And um, so when I changed teams, um, our first tournament, they brought the jerseys they had. And I was teeny tiny. So it was like, okay, give me a small. And they were like, well, here's your number choices. And it was eight and some other random number. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll take eight. And um, we finished my first year with them. We finished seventh at nationals. My next two years, we won nationals, which was a big deal because we were the first non-California team to win ASA gold nationals and then the first team to do it back to back years. So um, just the success with the cruisers wearing that. And I think by the, by the time we were all done, I think six of us or seven of us from that team ended up at, on the Texas softball roster. Um, so I had been number eight to almost everybody I was playing with. And so I asked Coach Clark when she was recruiting me, I was like, uh, my only stipulation is I want to be able to be number eight. And I had actually looked at it, and the girl who wore number eight was supposed to graduate right before um, I got there. So, like, you know, she would have graduated in May of 01 and August of 01. I could come in and get it. So it was going to work out as long as Coach Clark didn't give it away. And um, that player actually ended up leaving the roster a little bit earlier than her senior year and Marlo Hanks actually tried to ask coach Clark for it. And coach Clark told her, uh, no, cause we've already told Kat we can have it if she commits here. So it became a running joke on my official visit, but in the end I committed. So I got to have number eight. Well, and you know, you, you're the three time national player of the year in 2003, 2005, 2006, of course in 2004, you were with the Olympic team, um, winning gold. Um, what, how do you look back on your time at Texas? 20 no-hitters, perfect game. Um, you know, you went to the College World Series three times. Um, how do you look back on your UT career? I loved every second of it. Um, as I said, it was, it was my dream school. Um, I did take official visits in other places, but um, ultimately committed on my visit at Texas and knew that that was where I wanted to be. And um, Why was it your dream school? Well, one, I mean, born and raised in Texas, and I think at any point in time, whether you have ties or not, you choose Texas or A&M, and I really don't know what in third or fourth grade made me choose Texas, because I wasn't really even playing softball competitively at the time, but I just remember I had this, I don't know, I don't know if it was gray and ended up fading purple or what color shirt, but I had this Texas shirt I wore all the time, and um, then when I started playing softball and, you know, we started looking at the colleges that had it in state and whatnot, my dad and I came up to Texas quite a bit when I was a youngster and watched them play. Um, but I think it was one of those, you know, one, I had chosen it for whatever subconscious reason, but then two, eventually realizing it was far enough from home that my parents couldn't come check on me all the time, but at the same time, close enough that they could come up for midweeks and every weekend series that they wanted to come for. And, um, 
I have two younger brothers. So for me, it was, you know, I could go home and see them too, which I got to see them swim in high school a few times and such because we were off. And if I go across country, I don't get that opportunity. So um, there was a various reasons, but, and then eventually um, having friends that played there was another big part of it. So for me, it was, it was a dream come true. Um, you know, I made a goal when I was like 12 or 13. I asked my dad if he thought it would be good enough to walk on there. And he's like, if you work really hard, you will be. And so that was my goal originally was just to be good enough to walk on. And um, obviously it, it kind of took over and became a little bit more than that. <laughs> um, but I didn't look back at my career with at Texas with anything but fondness, to be honest. Um, I can't say, I mean, best four years of my life, I wouldn't relive college anywhere else, but um, obviously I've gone on to do some other incredible things in the softball world, but I just loved everything about competing at Texas. The fans we have, being in Austin, obviously the weather we get here in Texas, being born and raised, I didn't want to go anywhere cold. Um, it's just one of those, every game I can think of is, there's excitement with it. I can still... To this day, it's fun when I go back and a pitcher gets two strikes with two outs because the crowd still starts clapping and, and stands up and they still yell at the ump when it's an 0-2 pitch and you purposely didn't throw it anywhere close to the strike zone that they think it should be strike three. Um, I can still remember those those moments. And um, it's just, you know, Texas was a special place at that time. And to be part of that was, uh, it's kind of mind-blowing, but at the same time special. Well, I was going to say that that was the golden era of Texas athletics um, right while you were there. I mean, baseball teams winning the national championship football team, won the national championship basketball teams are going to the final four. Um, softball's going to the College World Series. Um, talk about that time and, you know, just the, the fact that you're you guys were killing it across the board and just the mojo and energy in the in the Texas athletic program. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously winning is contagious and um, I just think you look across the board and there were so many recruiting classes that had phenomenal athletes. I mean, I came in with, I think Vince was in my class, but redshirted, um, yep. Cedric Benson, TJ Ford, Houston Street, and then, you know, in Houston Street's baseball class, it was Houston Street, J.D. Reiniger, Michael Holloman. Seth Johnson, David, you know, you just name all the guys that ended up being the heroes of the World Series, you know, in both. They won it that first year, but then later on in 05, too. Um, and so, you know, you look at it, and I'm there swimming, you know, swimming has Brendan Hansen and Aaron Pearsall and Ian Crocker, who end up being household names in swimming world in, you know, USA swimming even. And so um, it's crazy to think that I was on campus with these guys at the same time. And, you know, we all sat around and just gossiped and did anything but homework probably in study hall. And, um, you know, it's something when you're in college, you don't think anything big of it. And then when you're out of it, you're like, Holy cow, I was in school with some incredible people. And, um, yeah, you know, you watch the baseball team win right off the bat. And I know for us softball players, it was like, Oh, they got to go to the world series as freshmen. Okay. Well now we've got to figure out like our way to it. And, we had one conference, which was great, but, you know, baseball went up to you. So you wanted to come out the next year and do something. And, yeah, the basketball teams were on the rise and obviously football won. And, you know, it was just you don't realize when you're in it that it's such a special time. And I don't think obviously fans at the time, I'm going to guess you hope or you think that that's going to be the norm all the time. 
Um, so now when people talk and kind of give Texas grief, I'm like, I know you didn't really think we were going to be in that state forever and ever and ever. Um, but that's what they want. That's what they expect. So, um, but it's really cool to look back and be a part of it. Um, you know, Houston street and I were on a, a panel, um, two years ago at the RBI banquet in Austin, and they were talking to us about, um, college. And I just, there's people that don't realize that we were actually pretty good friends in college that, you know, we chit chatted and we shared in each other's success. And, um, we both went to the Pan Ams at the same time. And I ended up actually, we got some of the baseball jerseys or baseball teams, practice jerseys and wore them to one of their Pan Am games. And he gave me his practice Jersey to wear because I was like, I'm not going unless I have Houston's because I don't know anyone else on this team. Um, and you know, just memories like that. I think we're all just kind of there, but you know, we were all there together and friends. So um, it's, it was pretty special, pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, um, did you go to the Texas football national championship game? I did actually, it was a last minute decision, but um, actually Chris Ogden um, was coaching or student coach at Texas at the time or something. And he had tickets and he wasn't going. So his wife wanted to go me and Chris Ogden's wife went. Um, nice. And it was, that is still the craziest to this day. I have never seen an entire football or half of a football stadium be so deflated and dead and within 120 seconds being like completely through the roof. Yeah, no, that was absolutely phenomenal. Um, so when, you know, when you look back, you own the conference when you were there, then Oklahoma takes over in, in softball and, after you leave and they've not really let go of it. And that's, I mean, that's the biggest rival Texas has. And mm -hmm. I was talking to Mike white about it and he's like, yeah, we've got to win a game off of them, you know, before we can win a series because, you know, that's just how dominant OU softball has been lately. What is it about OU softball that's allowed them to rise? Well, yeah, I think they won the national championship in, I think it was 2000. Um, maybe, yeah, I think it was 2000. Yep. And um, from then on, they kind of, they built a culture. I mean, don't get me wrong. They were incredibly strong when we were in school. And in fact, most of the time, I think my first two years, we were fighting with them for the, the Big 12 championship. And then my last two years is when A&M came on strong and we fought with them for the national champ or for the Big 12 championship. Sorry. Um, but they consistently were able to bring in very strong national caliber athletes. And um, Coach Gasson and Coach Lombardi were there as a tandem for a really long time. And I think anytime you get that, that's obviously huge because you get continuity between two coaches and you can add the third and that, that person can kind of change. But when you have continuity and then that third person buys in, it really develops your program. And so the two of them had some strong strong culture going. And then, you know, over time they got some really big pieces like Lauren Chamberlain and Kalani Ricketts at the same time to where you have a stud power pitcher. And then you have someone who at the time was chasing the home run record and ended up setting it. And a lot of times you may have those two people separate in different eras, but not at the same time. And so for them, they just, they did some really good job recruiting and getting some kids to commit to coming to Oklahoma and, you know, at the same time, their athletic department did some good things with their facilities that I think helped um, lure those those recruits. But, you know, I think anytime you can, you have a great football school, you can 
you can sell recruits on almost anything because you have a really good atmosphere for sports. And that's what Texas had um, when I was there, obviously, and for years after. And I think they're getting back to there now, too, is being able to have that athletic department culture to where success is not just attributed to one or two sports. When when you look at the program now, Mike White coming in year two in Texas, and I know you're at Texas State, but obviously you follow Texas, and they were number one in, in one poll, um, two in another, three in another, uh, but had gone out and beaten UCLA on the road and beaten Washington in a, a tournament in California. Um, what, what do you, and Miranda Ellis uh, became the fourth pitcher along with yourself uh, to throw a perfect game. What, what do you like about what's going on with Texas softball now? Well, you know, I think um, Coach White taking over was, I think it was a great hire by Crystal Conte, obviously for the alum, it was a little bit of a, a crossroads. I mean, I think at some point you always need new blood, but so many of us, Coach Clark's all we knew. I mean, that's Coach Clark's all anybody knew. Um, so it took a while to adjust, but, you know, Coach White did a great job of jumping in and last year um, hosted an alumni game and he, he was just very, very involved in the alumni event. Friday night, we had some a, a kind of a celebration of Coach Clark and he was there and he very much spoke highly of what she had done with the program before and that he was, you know, honored to be put in charge and basically continue the tradition that she had started and get Texas softball back in the top 10 where it should be. And, um, you know, I absolutely think he was a great hire. Um, Crystal Conte and I had talked a little bit prior to that. Um, well, I should say like almost right before he probably made the decision. Um, and I had actually mentioned coach white because I had gone up and, um, shadowed coach white my first year at Texas state to get some ideas for pitching and whatnot. And I was very sold on the type of person he was, um, you know, instead of just grabbing lunch really quickly in between individuals of players, he took me to lunch and sat down and asked me questions um, that I needed to have answers to if I wanted to be in coaching for a long period of time. So it was really cool to see the type of person he was as well as the coach. And so I knew um, when they announced him that he was the right decision. And I think obviously he's been able to back that up with the success that they're having. And, um, obviously speaks volumes about who he is as a coach that so many players wanted to follow him. Um, you know, that's, I can't, I can't deny that that, you know, it made me smile knowing that Rand Ellis was coming to Texas because that just meant we were going to get another power pitcher that could carry a weight of, of a program and hopefully get us back to the promised land of Oklahoma city. And I think they were on that right path this year. So, um, you know, it'll be exciting to see how next year unfolds, but, um, the only thing I'm, I'm jealous of is Miranda gets to bat, although I chose not to bat it along along the way somewhere. So <laughs> she obviously never she didn't make that decision at age like 12 like I did. <laughs> well, I want to I want to talk to you about Chris Del Conte, too, because, um, you know, for years they didn't retire uh, women's athletic jerseys at Texas. Mm-hmm. And and I think the last time you and I spoke, Chris Del Con- you said Chris Chris Del Conte you know, talk to you and said, Hey, this, this is going to happen. Can you kind of take me through that? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I won't be shy about it. My, um, when Crystal Conte did his first ever like Q and a thing on Twitter, my brother chimed in there and basically said, so when are you going to retire Kat Austin's Jersey? And, um, like a good brother should. 
like a good brother should, right? He got some ridicule because, you know, of course, football fanatics want to be like, you're asking about California's jersey when this man needs to revive football and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, everybody has their own passions. Um, my brother, just my brother's passion happens to be a sister. Um, but, you know, Chris answered and basically said, this has been brought to my attention, going to work on it, blah, blah, blah. And um, then, yeah, as time passed, um, I made a couple jokes with it just because Chris Del Conte had said, like, one of the first conversations, like, I think your brother came at me. I'm like, he did. I don't apologize, but he did. <laughs> um, and, you know, so we would make jokes about it. And I, he came to an alumni game and I'd always be like, you know, a number eight somewhere out there on that wall would be great. And, um, so then, yeah, eventually when he, you know, and, and I knew he had other things to get to. I mean, you take over an athletic department, there's obviously a lot going on. And, um, so when he finally called, like talked to me and was like, you know, we really are going to, we're going to retire some women's jerseys. I was like, I was super excited. And I was like, you just tell me when, and we'll, we'll figure this all out. And, um, and I assumed they were going to do it chronologically, which is how they did it. And that's how they should have done it. Um, so when I, I didn't even know they had started until I saw a tweet about Cami Etheridge's ceremony, which I was so bummed because somewhere I missed that they were going to do it. I would have tried to be at that football game because I think that would have been super cool to witness. But um, I screenshotted it and sent it to him and was like, this is awesome. I'm so excited. And I get a response. It's like, patience, grasshopper. And I'm like, I'm not even talking about myself. I'm just talking about that one guy retired. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was a process. And then obviously, um, you know, when he got to tell me that I needed to, I needed to pick a date. Um, I was really excited when they finally re released that it was going to be done, even though I had known um, it was coming. I still got super emotional, like reading the press release and seeing people's responses and just how they presented it. Like, I just thought it was super cool. Um, and I still am. I mean, it's a bummer. Yeah, it was supposed to happen this Wednesday and obviously we're not going to have it. But as I told my husband, I've waited 14 years. I can wait 15 <laughs> Yeah. And when I called um, you, I'm like, hey, we got to we still have to sort of mark this date, even though it's not going to happen. And then we'll do it again yeah. when it happens. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And yeah. And and, and you should feel absolutely uh, overjoyed. What was the explanation as to why they had not been retiring women's jerseys? Um, I mean, for whatever reason, it had been deemed that Hall of Honor was the highest honor for a female athlete. Um, my only question is, why would that just be for female athletes and not all athletes? Um, and then another explanation was that a lot of our national championships are in swimming and track and field, which you can't retire their jerseys. And I understand that, too. But I just think at some point when you're retiring male jerseys, you should do the same. And if it's the same stipulations, obviously I think it's opened up a little bit on the male side. It doesn't always have to be a player of the year now, but um, you know, at least have something because like I said, you know, Cammy Etheridge deserved it. Um, they just announced or who, who they just retired. Somebody else is um, another basketball player recently and she deserved it. And, I know the name is somewhere in the back of my head. I'm not that inept on te Texas women's history, to be honest. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm like, I know it's somebody. I know who the name. I just can't think of it at the moment. Um, but, you know, there's just female athletes that have done things for Texas athletics, not Texas female athletics, but Texas athletics that deserve to have their recognition, too. So when they started doing it, I was super excited. Yeah. And, and so... 
when you look at this and and Clarissa Davis was the other name. That's who it is. I was like, I was like, I was about to say Annette Smith, right? And I was like, that's not right. Um, but when you look at this, the Jersey retirement, I mean, the three national player of the year awards. Um, I remember talking to you back in 04 leading up to and after the Olympics and, you know, you were the super, you were the only collegian on that team and you were the left-handed pitcher against this, you know, lefty heavy lineup from Japan. Where, where does that rank cat? Cause I just remember how big that was for, for team USA to bring home gold in 04 and you were right in the middle of it. You know, I think, uh, I mean, obviously that, I think that was my first Olympic win. Um, actually, I should say the ball is sitting over here in the car, in the shelf. So it is my first Olympic win. Um, not but, bad, right? I mean, not right? bad. <laughs> that is your first Olympic win to but take I down think, the, um, the evil empire. Yeah, that, that sits pretty high, um, mainly because it was, you know, it was my first start, my first win, but they had prepared me so well for that moment because the whole time we were on tour and the whole time we're getting ready for the Olympics, you know, for that quad, it was, you will see Japan. Like you will, you will pitch against Japan because they were lefty heavy. And so we got to that game, got the game ball, you know, whoever wins this game is the number one seed going into the medal rounds. Um, and so you know, it was just like, here, here you go, run with it. And you know, we end up going eight innings and it's one of the most memorable moments of my career. Um, I don't remember a lot of the game up until the eighth inning, um, but just getting that win and kind of, I guess, proving to myself that, you know what, you can do this. This is what you are made to do. Um, not that there was a doubt to it, but that kind of like put the cap on it and solidified it um, because, you know, we had four and five pitchers on the roster and, you know, I'm the young one, I'm a lefty. Great. But you never know going in what your role is really going to be. And to have a role that had meaning behind it um, at a young age was just a confidence boost. And then really probably a career booster. Well, and how much does it excite you that this would be in Japan? I mean, that you'd go face Japan in their home country and try and take them down. Yeah, I think that part of it is, um, that part of it is cool. Um, it was that really, honestly, people ask me, is that why you did it? I'm like, no, it really didn't like where it was did not play a factor in my thought process of coming back. Um, but I do think it will provide for a very cool environment because one, the rivalry two, that's their hometown or their home country. But, Three, just the way that Japan embraces baseball and softball. Um, they come out in troves to watch it. I mean, we played Japan in an exhibition series this past summer, and game three was in the Tokyo Dome, and we had like 20,000 people. I can't say I've ever played in front of wow. 20,000 people, um, but that's what they had because they come out in troves for this sport. So I think it'll be really cool for our sport to – be on the the main stage again in the Olympics, but at the same time in a place where that many people can pack a stadium. Well, and I mean, what is, do we ever know why sports come and go from the Olympics? I mean, um, do you ever know the real reason? No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you tell me cause you've, you, um, 
you know, I think there's a lot of rumors going on. I think if you get down to it, really, um, the IOC is not divided up based on like, you know, the U S doesn't have X amount of representatives because they send X amount of athletes. It's not done by your representation in the Olympics. Um, when seats come available, any and every country can make a buy at it. So your Europeans have a lot of the seats on the IOC. And unfortunately our sport is not popular in Europe. And I believe at the time, both the IOC president and the, the members um, wanted sports that, Europe was going to be more successful at in um, in the Olympic Games, and obviously they were having some issues with baseball and drug testing and sending over the prof- the, the best of the best. Um, and so they seized an opportunity to lump us together, and um, we unfortunately got the short end of the stick with some of those European voters not really knowing what our sport is. And so when someone says it's females playing baseball, they just think baseball and like, oh no, they can go. And afterwards, there were at least four voters who admitted they didn't they didn't really know what the sport of softball was. And that's the unfortunate part. Um, so I think kind of bad luck on our part more than anything. You know, people want to say it was our dominance, but I don't think it's that because there's other sports that stay in that are dominated by China or Japan or other countries. And those weren't on the chopping block. So I think we just got lumped with baseball. And unfortunately, that didn't work in our favor. And We've had to sit and spend 12 years fighting to get another chance. Well, this um, this story continues, and it's it's phenomenal. Um, 20 no hitters. I mean, that's it's incredible. Do you do you look at any? Do you have an, a number? Any of your records that means more than another? Um, I think I think my no hitters might be my favorite stat. I just. Um, one, it's an easy round number to remember. The strikeouts is not an easy round number to remember. Um, but at the same time, I don't know that there's many people that in your college career and continue through 20 no-hitters. Yeah. Um, and that's just, again, at the time, you don't realize what you're doing. It's a big deal. Um, you know, my work ethic and the way I approach the game, I think I just always tried to figure out how to be better every single day. And if that meant if I threw a one-hitter the day before, if we were playing that same team, then in my head it might be that I want to throw a no-hitter, even though I know that that's not really what my goal should be. And, um, you know, and it happens sometimes. And um, But the way I prepared and the way I worked, I think it's just a testament to that. But that I, I'm pretty sure that's my, my favorite statistic from, from college. How many perfect games? Seven, I think. Seven. They used to say nine, but then the new SID said he went back and he messaged me at one point and told me he had to change it to seven. I was like, okay, I don't really, I don't really care. But <laughs> that's, so uh, I think I think the official number was seven. Okay. Now, um, here I am talking to you about Kat Osterman, the player, because you're still playing in, in the Olympics, mm-hmm. are right in your your target sites. But how? tell us about Kat Osterman, the coach. Um, how are you as a coach? How would you describe yourself? Um, I'm probably way more patient as a coach than I was with myself as a player. Um, I'm way, I'm less intense as a coach than I was as a player. Um, but I think that's because I could be intense as a player cause I can control, I can control things when I'm on the field and actually playing when I'm a coach, I have to trust that my pitchers can control it. And sometimes my intensity is not going to help their demeanor on the field. So, um, 
but you know, I think the biggest thing I learned as a player and an athlete is the relationships are what matters. That's where I try to focus is being able to establish good relationships with my um, athletes and being able to play an integral part of their development, not only as a pitcher or a player, but as a person. And, um, you know, I've been able to do that at Texas State. You know, my biggest example is Randy Rupp. I got to be with her for four years and see her grow and succeed and then got to watch her get married this past fall and um, just kind of do the full circle with a kid. And that's awesome. What's the, what are the goals in coaching? Um, I think, you know, the biggest goal is helping them, helping them grow and prepare and be able to handle adversity in life after they're done with us. And we get to use sport to do that. And so, while yes, I want to see them be a successful softball player. I want them to use the adversity softball brings to know that later on in life, they can, they can conquer something. They can handle a argument with their future husband because they dealt with you know an argument with a teammate at some a teammate they were close to or a roommate at some point um and that you know they got through a really tough situation whether it was a slump or a single game but that means you know later in the future they can use that confidence or that work ethic and get through something else so um really it's preparing them for real life but using our sport and success they get in that to help them kind of springboard into real life and realize that you can use your attributes as an athlete, as a, as a person too. Do you want to be a head coach? Um, I don't know. I really, I'm, I'm really good at being in charge of pitching. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I want to be in charge of the whole thing. And all the recruiting and all the, yeah. all the demands. Yeah. There's a lot of things that, that go on. I have a personality of being a boss, but um, yeah, when it comes to the game as a whole, I, it's a lot to think about and a lot to have to um, manage when your expertise expertise is something that's so specific. That's good. I mean, that's good to that's good to be honest with yourself, be self aware. Yeah, eight, eighteen year old cat that said I wanted to take Connie's job did not know that at the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, cat, you are the best. I mean, literally the best uh, who's ever come through the forty acres and. Um, I look forward to the conversation, many more conversations, because um, it looks like the Olympics are going to be next summer and um, and the Jersey retirement is going to be uh, a little bit later. Do we have any idea? No, probably not. No, um, I've not had any conversations about what that looks like yet. Yeah, because there's obviously this is so day to day. But I would um, think they have so many other things that are a little more important. Yeah, well. Listen, our, uh, we're thinking about you this week because that's when it was supposed to happen, Thank Wednesday. You. And Thank you. Um, always enjoy the conversation. And uh, thanks so much for joining us on the Flagship Podcast. Thank you for having me. All right. Kat Osterman and the uh, Flagship Podcast rolls on. Always great to hear from a Longhorn legend, especially one like Kat Osterman, who has such a decorated career that is as it appears to be still is ongoing um, playing for Team USA in the Olympics, which looked to be postponed for a year. But it's so great to see just that the University of Texas has changed their stance on um, honoring the women's athletics by now changing it to where women's athletics numbers are or jerseys are being retired. And she, if anybody deserves for their jersey to be retired, it's Kat Osterman. I mean, 
my goodness, seven perfect games. That's something that I think people um, never really come across in baseball alone. She did that softball at Texas. So great to see that from her. And, uh, you know, over at 20, Horns 24-7 right now, there's a lot of different content pieces with this time, this unknown, you know, with the sports realm. We've been able to kind of go to the creative hats that we all have. And one thing that I definitely think any Texas fan needs to listen to is um, another podcast, the State of Recruiting podcast with Mike Roach. He had on uh, 24-7 Sports uh, National Director of Recruiting, Brandon Huffman, who has been in the game for so long, but also has such a great story, sad, tragic story. But, you know, they've taken his family's tragedy with his daughter, Avery, um, losing her battle to DIPG. And they started a foundation in Avery's honor. And just hearing, you know, all that the Huffman family does is truly magnificent, magnificent for a horrible, horrible type of disease that children you know, the survival rate, I believe, is 0%. And it's just such a tragic story. But they're using Avery's memory every single day to honor her and to help bring awareness to the DIPG um, Foundation. So definitely check out that. Uh, and another thing that happened over the weekend that Chip kind of started was he was brought up the topic about the most underrated Longhorns in program history over, was it the last 25 years, Chip, or just in general? Over the last 30 years. Okay, so over the last 30 years. And I think we need to kind of talk about this because you and I both have some some names that need to be on this list. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, it, it's, been, uh, it's been a hot topic. And um, I will start us off, Taylor, by saying James Brown. So James Brown... This guy has a special place in my heart because I was the one who asked him the question uh, going into the 1996 Big 12 title game against Nebraska when Nebraska was a three-touchdown favorite and only needed to beat Texas in the Big 12 title game to go on to play for what would have been a third national championship in, in four years in that span. And, and so James Brown walks into the media availability and I, I see him and I go, I go, James, what do you make of being a three touchdown underdog to Nebraska? And he looks at me with like steel confidence in his eyes Mm -hmm. and he says, I don't know. I think we beat them by three touchdowns. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, uh, when did you start thinking that? And he's like, we got good players, man. We got good players. And so I write the story. I was working for the Associated Press at the time. So the story went ballistic over the wire right. and ran in Lincoln, three-inch headlines, UTQB, colon, we'll win by three TDs. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. So John Makovic is furious at me. And so is Gary Darnell, the defensive coordinator. Like, they're cussing me. And and um, John Bianco calls me. He's like, hey, I think you got that quote wrong. And I said, no, I have it on tape. Do you want to hear it? On actual and tape, too, probably, right? A tape, a tape recorder. <laughs> yes. Yes, a little with those little cassettes, tiny cassettes. 
And and so I bring it to practice and I play it for John. John's like, oh. And then Makovic listens to it. And and so he goes to James and says, okay, James, well, you said it. So you need to explain that to the team because Makovic hated that kind of bulletin board material stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's so funny to me because James Brown told me this story and, and it, um, he goes into the locker room and Makovic's like, James is going to explain what he said. And James like, you know, I got asked about being a three touchdown underdog. And I said, I think we can beat them by three touchdowns. And Dan Neal jumped up and was like, yeah. And like, <laughs> let's go bleep and kill them. And the whole locker room was like, yeah. And I think Makovic was like, oh, well, okay. Yeah, this and, may work. <laughs> yeah, because they, they love James. I mean, if you talk to any of his teammates, he was just this silent, steely assassin who, you know, his first start at Texas was against OU in 94, and he, you know, he helped uh, lead them to victory. Right. And what a start, right? Your very yeah. first start at Texas is in the Red River shootout, and and so – I mean, he won that game. He 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 went to A and M in '95 on um, a severely sprained ankle. Like there was real question about whether he would play. He he played. He played the whole game. He played great. Uh, Texas upset A and M, ending A and M's 31 game home winning streak. And at that time, A and M dominated Texas. Like you know, Texas has dominated that series, but from you know, the mid eighties to the mid nineties, it was all A and M. And so out there, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Hey. And and by God, James Brown and and Dan Neal and and Ricky Williams as a freshman um was a was a monster in that game. And and so anyway, that was a, a really long story about James Brown. But um I'll also put Colt McCoy on there because Taylor, no one expected Colt McCoy to ever play quarterback at Texas. No, for sure. I agree with that. I mean, Ryan Perilou was the guy and he was one of the most fascinating recruitments we've ever seen because he sort of, you know, Mac Brown offered Colt, Ryan Perilou and Mark Sanchez all on the same day. Mark Sanchez, who went to your high school, right? Yeah. Oh, I know Mark pretty well. Yep. <laughs> Mission Viejo. Mission Viejo, that's right. He was a he was a year younger than I was, okay. a grade younger than I was. So yeah. So so Mac offers those three and says the first two to accept, uh, will get the scholarships. Well, Colt, of course, uh, accepted the scholarship offer the day it happened, and Ryan mm-hmm. Perilou ultimately committed to Texas and then and then left Texas at the altar, and it was supposed to be Ryan Perilou, not. Cole McCoy. Now, Paraloo did help LSU win a national championship in 07 under Les Miles, but um, Cole McCoy, I mean, all he did was lead Texas to two 10-win seasons and then should have won the Heisman Trophy in 2008. I voted for him to win it um, because he had one of the most amazing seasons ever. He That's the year he set the single season completion percentage record that still stands today it barely survived joe burrow yeah um, but still survived a heisman winner joe right burrow. right so that I mean, alone McCoy, not, yeah. <laughs> right cole mccoy not only 
completed 76.7% of his passes that year. He was the leading rusher. Yeah. Um, on that Texas team that, and he, he, his Heisman moment was the 80 yard drive at Texas tech after Texas played horrible, uh, in that game, they were down 19 to nothing and then 22 to three. And they, they scratched and clawed and, and Colt went, um, four or five passing on that 80 yard drive ran twice. They take a one point lead with 129 left and, and then, you know, Texas mm-hmm. couldn't hold the lead, but, um, devastated you know, Colt Tart back then. <laughs> oh my gosh. I got run over three times on the field that <laughs> night. The students That's rushed the field, had to go back, rushed the field, had to go back, and then rushed the field again. It was amazing. Yeah. So w- was then, that at Bradford won it? Sam, Sam Bradford? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sam okay, Bradford. so sorry, to play devil's advocate for you. If Texas was in the national championship, does Colt McCoy win the Heisman Trophy? Yes. Yeah. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Like if they win that game against Texas Tech and go play Missouri in the Big 12 title game, it's Colt who's mm-hmm. on the undefeated team and and has all the momentum and and gets appreciated for what he did that year. Not yeah. a doubt in my mind. I agree. 100%. And Sorry, when to get your take. I've never had I've never asked you that question. So. Yeah. <laughs> then I did not vote for Colt number one for the Heisman in 09. I voted for Indomik and Sue. Yeah. Who, who ragdolled all of Texas. What? Seven tackles for loss in the 09 big 12 title game. Yeah. And nine and half ta- sacks total. I believe it was right. Four, yeah, four and a half sacks in that game. Yeah. Oh Nebraska yeah. For, oh, for the Nebraska team. Oh yeah. Oh, Jared yeah. Crick. Oh yeah. 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 And somehow, some way, Colt McCoy to Jordan Shipley, barely. I mean, it was field goals. They didn't even yeah. score a touchdown in that game. I think it was twelve to ten. But um, yeah. And then and then they go play for the national championship and and uh, and and we forget that Garrett Gilbert, um, who came in for Colt McCoy. Texas was only down three with three thirteen left in that game and had the ball with a true freshman who had played, I believe before that game, but I think my number's going to be off. It was less than 30 snaps. I believe that Garrett Gilbert had come in at a college game that yeah. season and yeah. had to play in the national championship. I was at that game. Were you there? Oh yeah. yeah. And the thing is, and Greg Davis told me this later, he's like, we felt like we needed to change the plays for Garrett. And then, and then he said, screw it. Let's just go back to the game plan we had with Colt. And, and they did, it was, they were going to have Colt throw it 40 times to Jordan Shipley. Cause they felt like they mm-hmm. could pick apart Alabama's secondary. They did. And, and they got back into the game. So, um, Colt McCoy. And then my last one, Jamal Charles, Jamal Charles, okay. you know, kind of a unheralded. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't a blockbuster recruit. He, you know, out of Port Arthur, but my God, I mean, that as a freshman in that 05 season when they won the national championship, he would he just exploded on the scene. Um, and I'll never forget. I, I still to this day I always joke when I see Jamal. I'm like, you know, one of my favorite plays by you was the hit you put on AJ Hawk after he intercepted Vince young in the Ohio state game up in Columbus in 05 Jamal, like 
was completely out of the play and ran back into the play and delivered this knockout shot to AJ Hawk. It was kind of a blindside shot. And I was like, you, you know, no one was ever going to call you a track guy after that. Yeah, no doubt. You know, because Jamal was a 100, 200 guy. I mean, he was a really accomplished track sprinter. And, and, and I've never seen anyone cut like him in space, like Gail Sayers, Mike Rozier, those, those, you know, two absolute all-timers. And then, sure enough, Jamal goes on to break Jim Brown's uh, yards per carry career record in the NFL. Yeah, that's amazing. And another hit that that kind of you bring that up, it kind of is a little um, similar to uh, Quan Cosby's hit on who was it? Lendl Holmes. Yep. And the 2008 Texas OU game. I mean, that was there are just sometimes those, uh, you know, kind of running backs and receivers when they deliver those. I remember Jonathan Gray one year, he delivered what I forget who it was on. But I mean, there's just sometimes when those happen and you're just like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> you know, it's like these are not just one trick ponies. They can actually destroy people and decrease. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vince, Vince put a guy under the bench. Um, yeah. To, to avoid a pick six. I'm trying to remember which game that was, but yeah. It's funny. Yeah. That's definitely so, a good list. Okay, give me yours. Okay, so I'm I'm kind of uh, basing mine a little bit more off of since I have been either at school at Texas and beyond covering Texas, just, you know, full disclosure, you know, I grew up in Southern California, so I was not constantly seeing University of Texas football all the time growing up because back then, you know, not every single college game was um, broadcast, anything like that. But um, so my number one chip personally, so we'll is make the, yours the last 10 years. Yes. Yeah. The last 10 years is definitely fair. So um, my number one is Deontay Foreman. Um, just yeah. alone, you know, his, his 2000, what was the 16 season in Charlie Strong's last year, if Texas was even a decently winning program that year, he would have been at the Heisman ceremony. But since the Heisman trophy ceremony has turned into the best player on the best team, he didn't even get an invite, which is absolutely comical. If you go back and look at Derrick Henry from Alabama, when he was, you know, when he won the Heisman trophy, Deontay Foreman and him had very similar yardage. Deontay was, I believe, like 150 to 200 yards behind uh, Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry had, I think it was 28 touchdowns where Deontay Foreman had 15 or 16. So there's a little differential there. However, Derrick Henry played in 15 games. Deontay Foreman played in 11. So Derrick Henry, technically yards per game, Deontay Foreman had better stats than Derrick Henry. Yet he Whoa. didn't even get an invite to the Heisman. I will always be beating the drum on that one because I thought that was BS to be entirely blunt about it. BS. He was a three-star recruit. Honestly, if Deontay Foreman's last name was not Foreman, he wouldn't have been at Texas. It was a dual offer. Like he went to Texas because Armani Foreman was the, you know, the highly touted recruit, his twin brother. So Deontay was kind of, it was a package deal in Texas. Eventually, they didn't even do it initially, but eventually gave in to the package deal there. So I'm going to go with Deontay Foreman, absolutely number one. Number two on my list, some people disagree with this, but I'm, I'm going to go with the punter, Michael Dixon, because, you know, Dixon. Yes. Now he may have only had, 
like one solid, obviously solid season. He had two solid seasons, in my opinion. But his 2017 campaign was something of pure majesty, honestly. I mean, if you look back at that, Mike Gundy said it best, in my opinion, when Texas played Oklahoma State, that it was a, an overtime game. What was the final score? 10 to 13 in that game, right? 13 Wasn't that? to 10. And that, that Oklahoma State offense was like number one in the scoring at that time. Yeah. And Mike Gundy said it best after that game. He said their punter almost single handedly beat us. You never hear that about a punter. A lot of times you'll hear about kickers. You know, they're actually scoring points. But what Michael Dixon did for Tom Herman in 2017, I think it's atrocious that Tom Herman doesn't call him by name because, I'm sorry, if Michael Dixon was not on that 2017 team, there's a good chance Tom Herman would not have made a bowl game. And then the talks about him being on the hot seat would have been so high immediately after his first season. It was because of Michael Dixon that Texas actually you know, ended up being a bowl eligible team. And then he gets the MVP of the or the Texas Bowl. I mean, that's unheard of too, a punter getting that the game MVP award. But that's how dominant he was. And I know a lot of people acknowledge it while he was there, but I still think he's absolutely one of the most underrated punters. And if Tom Herman is listening to me, start calling Michael Dixon by name because it's disrespectful. <laughs> Your career depends on that. Hey, and it's effort. Taylor's birthday. So listen <laughs> yeah. to her. And then for three, I'm going to go with Devin DuVernay. Um, you know, he got a lot of recognition or more recognition, I should say, during his senior year. But he was always clutch for Texas. I mean, from his freshman season on, his his drop numbers were not just only in his senior season. It was all throughout his career. He didn't get a even a semifinalist nod for the Bolitnikoff Award. And it's just, you know, that one blows my mind a little bit. But I definitely think Devin DuVernay is among one of those uh, most underrated players. And Texas, I mean, my goodness, the situation at Baylor was terrible with what went down. Art Browse being fired was the best thing to happen to Texas, in my opinion, because Devin DuVernay was a part of the reason why that Texas ever got him. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff right there, Taylor Estes. Well, let's Tom let Herman Taylor get Michael on. Dick by name. <laughs> Come That's on. Right. That's right. That's all she wants for her birthday, Tom Herman. That's all I want. Call Michael Dixon that. by his name. Yeah. Good night, mate. Um, hey, mate. <laughs> hey, let's let, uh, let's let Taylor get on with her birthday. Um, hope everyone enjoyed the interview with Kat Osterman. Thanks to Kat for uh, her time, her generous uh, time this, this week on the flagship podcast. Great stuff. And if you're not an annual member at horns247.com. Now is the time because we got all kinds of great content to, um, heck, make it part of your kids' online learning. You know what I mean? <laughs> make, them, make them write a paper about uh, the Jake Major story I wrote this week. I mean, what a story that is. His two parents are both nurses, and in his mom, who had a acute pancreatitis um, and is recovered but is not working, but was a nurse on the front lines of the H1N1 virus in 09. Um, but Jake Major's dad, Brent, is the director of nursing for the Baylor Scott & White Hospitals in Austin and Buda. And he is on the front lines. And it's it's a fascinating look at their family and, and how they're dealing with this right now. So get over to horns247.com, uh, Mike Roach, Taylor, Jeff Howe, Bobby Burton, um, 
Nick Harris. We got all kinds of good stuff for you. And of course, check out all the podcasts and everybody wish Taylor a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Taylor. Thank you. And good stuff, Chip. I, I should have mentioned that earlier. That story on Jake Majors, if you're listening to this, definitely go over. It's a free story. It's not behind the paywall. It is his family is literally dealing with this pandemic face to face. And, you know, it just shows the type of character that Jake Majors, you know, comes from. It's an um, unbelievable story. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. So definitely check that out. Well, appreciate that. And we appreciate you for listening to this week's edition of the flagship podcast. Everybody be safe out there. Take care of yourself. Um, keep the faith. This too shall pass. And we will, uh, we'll talk to you next week on the flagship podcast.